So we are going to be looking at James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We're going through this series of what is a healthy church? What is a healthy body of believers? What does it mean to be a faithful follower of Christ? And we've looked at many different areas, many different things that comprise a healthy church. And one of them is the understanding that a healthy church is a church that can show no favoritism or partiality, that considers a certain group of people better than another group of people, or a certain uh, social, economic, the church goes across all of those. That's how in the New Testament you can have churches comprised of wealthy landowners and their workers. You can have churches comprised of business leaders and their employees. It doesn't matter how wealthy or how poor. In Christ, they are one. They're under one master, which is Jesus Christ. So this is this understanding. So we've been looking at this one aspect, and this is our third and final one looking at this. So we're going to be looking at James chapter 5. And this section of James chapter 5 is kind of what the entire book builds up to. So this is a powerful one. So first we see a warning, and then we see an example of patience. So James chapter 5, starting at verse 1. And you can find us on page 1,198 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. Starting at verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the, Lord, the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Compassion and mercy. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. 
Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Father, we pray that you would guide us into your truth. Give us wisdom and discernment through your Holy Spirit to know the truth and to be transformed and live according to your will and your ways. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. We see here in the book of James, chapter 5, begins with a scathing warning. This is one of the most intense warnings given in the New Testament. And you see where James speaks very much like an Old Testament prophet. The very same indictment and calling out we see James doing here, we've seen throughout the Old Testament. We saw it in Micah when we looked at that passage. You can see it in Isaiah and Jeremiah. You can see it throughout the major and minor prophets, throughout the people of God. One in particular prophet is Amos. If you were to go to the book of Amos, you see where Amos is calling out against those who were supposed to be faithful to God and His law and His truth. But these people of God had used corruption and used their power and their privilege to exploit and push down people to take advantage of the weak and vulnerable to the point that they are described as rather than taking care of the sheep, they were feeding on the people of God like ravenous wolves. This kind of destruction. So we see where James here, James chapter 5, is very much going back to that language, going back to those themes of the Old Testament in speaking out, calling a warning to people. And this is very crucial. This is very crucial. As we've looked at it, we understand that to be saved in Jesus Christ means that you are saved by God's grace alone. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. So you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through believing and trusting in Jesus Christ alone, His righteousness, because we can do nothing to accomplish our own salvation to any degree. This gives God all the glory alone, because He is the one who saves. And how do we know this? Because of the Scriptures alone. We've been looking at this as we've been looking at the 500 years of the Reformation and these marks of a healthy church. We see these themes. And James makes clear that a person so saved by faith alone, through God's grace alone, in Christ alone, that this salvation is a living salvation. That there will be a transformation in the lives of the people. It isn't that we will achieve perfection, that's, that's not something we can achieve on this heaven and earth. But we will strive to die to the old self and live new lives in Christ and strive to live faithfully for Him, knowing He is faithful even we, when we are not always faithful. That's the good news of God's continual sanctification work in our lives and drawing us ever closer to Him. So we have these lists in the New Testament And these lists are given to the church. This is to the church. And there's a warning in these lists. 
that if you continue unrepentantly, you continue in these behaviors and these lifestyles, it leads to destruction. Don't fool yourself. You can't continue living and practicing and this be characteristic of your life in an unrepentant way and you to be saved. One of these key lists is by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, starting at verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy. What's that doing in there? Nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. Now that's a pretty encompassing list. And what's amazing about that list is I know in the tradition I grew up in, in the context I grew up in, I only knew verses, verse 9 of that list. I, I, I never heard verse 10. Verse 9 are these clear when it comes to morality areas revolved around sexuality. But then you have verse 10. It's in the same list. You have the same danger and warning that if you continue unrepentantly, if this is your characteristic in your lifestyle, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You will be destroyed. And we see it in 10. Thieves, nor the greedy. The greedy. And it goes on about drunkards and slanderers and swindlers. But then you have that word greedy. So what, what does that mean? If that's one of them on the list of if we do this, we do not go to heaven. Yeah, we better make sure we understand what Scripture says about that word and what that means for the church and how we are called to live to give Christ glory. Well, that word greedy, that understanding and all that encompasses around that, we see magnified in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, but more focused in the first section we're going to be looking at, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, helps us understand that word greedy in this context and how that cannot be a part of who we are as Christians or a characteristic of the church. It's impossible. Because that leads to destruction and not the glory of God. So in your, on the back of your bulletins, there's a little outline that if you'd like, you can follow along. That has the different scripture references I'll be touching on as we go through this passage of scripture. So James chapter 5. We see where it starts with a warning. And as I said, we're going to be looking at the two main sections of this. Verses 1 through 6 focuses in on the warning to those who are greedy. And then verses 7 through 11 focuses in on those who 
are experiencing the persecution and suffering and exploitation of the greedy and calling them to patience and perseverance. So here we see where the one who is the offending party, the one who is doing the wrong, they are being warned, and we see where the person who is experiencing that injustice and that being exploited are called to patience. So that's where we see these, these, both these situations here laid up. We see these dynamics in the church, and we see where it's ultimately called to Christ, called to unity, and called to a humbling on both parties. This is an amazing situation. So first we look at the first one. This is a powerful indictment. Here is where James is calling out, and he's saying to these rich, he's saying to these greedy, he's saying to this class of people who consider their comfort, who consider their power, who consider their hope, their joy, their identity wrapped up in their wealth and the things of this world. And that is a very dangerous place to put your hope, your faith, your pride, and your power. Remember what Jesus said, lay up treasure in heaven where there's no moth or rust or thief or corruption or destruction. But if you put your hope and your security in the things of this earth, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. So here we see that beginning warning of James. And he uses the most descriptive language you can. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Weep and howl. James is trying to show a contrast to their current lifestyle that is so self-indulgent, so luxurious, that all they appear to do is laugh and be giddy and be flippant and just enjoying everything. So here James is trying to twist that and show how what you actually should be doing is weeping and howling. You should actually be crying out by God's judgment that is coming against you. That's what he says. Now come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches, this is verse 2, have rotted. Here's the fulfillment of what Jesus said for those who lay up treasure on this earth. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. It's the very things taken exactly from when Jesus said, don't lay up treasures on this earth where moth and rust and where thieves come in to steal. So you see where James is taking that teaching of Jesus and putting that against those of the day. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Again, where was their treasure laid up? Where was their hope and security? This heaven and earth, the things of this world, the things of the desires of their flesh rather than the will and desires of God. Things focused on this heaven and earth rather than the new heaven and new earth that will be established when Christ returns. Their hope and security is placed in their own power, their own riches, rather than the riches of Jesus Christ. All his glorious riches of his righteousness and salvation in him. 
So you see where James in this powerful warning is trying to redirect people away from the things of this heaven and earth, away from the desires of their flesh to Jesus Christ. That's where he's driving us in this passage, to Jesus Christ. This is, this is what James did throughout the book of James. We see the same dynamic in James chapter 1. If you go to James chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, we can see where the bookends of this, of this letter. This is how James begins, and then in chapter 5, this is how James ends. Same theme here. So James chapter 1, starting at verse 9. Here he's speaking to the church. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. The lowly brother. So this is let the, the brother who is poor, who is broken, who, who is struggling, who is, who is low in the eyes of heaven and earth. Let him boast in what? He's got nothing to boast of. Nothing in the eyes of this world. So what does he have to boast in? His exaltation, meaning in Jesus Christ, and that Christ has saved him and lifts him up. So all his boasting is in the Lord, in his exaltation by the Lord. And what does James speak to the rich? Verse 10, And the rich... What are they to boast in? In his humiliation. That's literally what he's calling those who have placed their pride and their pleasure and their security in the things of this earth and whose lives have been characterized by greed. What are they to boast in? That Christ would humble them. Humble them. This is where you see Jesus interacting with the rich young ruler. He was very wealthy, very powerful. He came and he comes to Jesus and he says, Oh, Lord, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? What must I do to be saved, to have the things of God? And Jesus asked him, Well, have you obeyed the law? And he said, Oh, I have since I was a youth. He, he had he understood that he had faithfully obeyed God's law. So not only was he wealthy, not only was he powerful, but he was righteous according to the law. So he's an upstanding, moral young person. So Jesus looks at him. He knows his heart. He knows about him. And he says this, well, you lack one thing. Well, that would be very good news to only lack one thing. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And it said the young man went away broken in sadness because he had much wealth and he just wasn't willing to let that go. Too hard. Too hard. It, co- it would cost him his life. It cost him his identity. To let that go and just trust that much completely in Christ. So that's what G- James is saying here. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. 
that no matter whether you are rich and poor, if you realize that before Jesus Christ, your salvation is in one thing and one thing alone, that Jesus Christ bore your sin on the cross, took the wrath that you deserve from God the Father on you, that he would take that, that that is where you stand. And that's where you boast. There's nothing in yourself that you can boast in. And James goes on in verse 10. Because like a flower of the grass, he's speaking of the rich man, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So there's the warning to those who are greedy or the warning to those who find their pride or their security in the things of this earth or in wealth. And then verse 12, you see the encouragement for the others. It says, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, patience. So that's the same parallel with chapter five. For when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So we see where James chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, parallel exactly chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. James 1, verses 9 through 11, start out with that warning, and it ends with a call to be steadfast. James chapter 5 begins with a warning and it ends with a call to be patient and steadfast in the midst of suffering. So this was how important this was for James because these were the dynamics within the churches that he's writing this letter to and that he's trying to minister to and call them to Christ. He's calling them to a living faith, a vibrant faith, a faith that places all its hope and all all its desire in Jesus Christ and Him alone. That is where we are to lay up our treasures, not on the things of this earth. Well, James goes on in in chapter 5, and he describes, and this is how we can see that these, quote, rich people he's speaking to and warning to, they're living lives of corruption. Their wealth is based on corruption. And here he's showing the different ways they have done things that were against the law, that were against the things of God. So this is ill-gotten gain. This, this, this is, at the heart of this, we see the evil that's taken place. It says this in, in verse 4. He talks about the wages kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And then the cries of the harvesters the ears of the Lord have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So we see where these wealthy people, not only are they wealthy, but also they're doing everything they can to exploit the people who are under them. They have promised them a certain wage and they don't give it to them. And when the people complain, they just bring litigation against them in the courts. And the courts that they're dealing with are corrupt and siding with the rich over the poor because of bribery in what's taking place. Same pattern in the Old Testament we see James dealing with here in the New Testament. 
In the Old Testament, it's an exact parallel, calling out the wickedness of this lifestyle. We see it in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24, starting in verse 14. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Exact parallel between Deuteronomy 24 and what James is calling out at the end of the day. Again, Leviticus 19. These are the laws that God set up for His people, and we see where they're not being faithful to them. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the death or put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall, not, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or deferred to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. So that's the law of God established in the Old Testament. And that's what James is holding them and keeping them accountable to in the New Testament as he's speaking to the church and speaking to these situations. The other areas we see that characterize characterize the greed of these people is in verse 5. They lived on earth in great luxury and self-indulgence, hoarding their wealth, keeping back their wealth for their own pleasure with no care or concern for the poor or needy or those around them. And what has it gotten them? All it has done is fatten their hearts for the day of slaughter. And then verse 6 shows the injustice in the court systems that they've established. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person who does not resist you. These are people that are not out against them, but in a way to secure their own power and control, they are condemning falsely and false trials and false litigation those who would even try to speak out against what they are doing and they have them condemned before anything can happen it's a powerful indictment james is speaking out against an entire system where people have used their privilege and power for exploitation and destruction you know, one of the Psalms directly touches on this, and it's Psalm 73. I'd encourage you sometime today or through this coming week to read Psalm 73. Because Psalm 73 is where God speaks directly. He's revealing His Word. And it talks about the temptation of the psalmist. The psalmist is tempted to look at the lifestyle of the rich and famous and powerful and to be drawn toward that. Oh, that car is awfully nice. That house, ooh, that looks nice. Oh, if only I had those millions and billions. This is that, that enticement of the things of this earth. 
And we see that in Psalm 73. Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, verse 3 gets at that envy. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not shaken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. The danger there with this group of the greedy or the rich that's warned of in Psalm 73 is they feel not only do they have no need for God, but they're greater than God. They pretty much understand that they are God over their own lives and over their own worlds. And that's a very dangerous place to be. And finally, that's what the psalmist of Psalm 73 realizes in Psalm 73, verse 17. Then I discern their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by tears. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. So the psalmist of Psalm 73 finally realized their end. And it's a confusing one. It's a hard one at times to grasp. That's why when the rich young ruler went away sad and Jesus turned to his disciples and said, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of the needle than a rich man to go to heaven. The disciples' response was, well then, who can be saved? And that's what Jesus says. What's impossible with man is possible with God. All things are possible with God. James warns the rich and he calls those who are experiencing sufferings and oppression and exploitation, he calls them to patient endurance. Patient endurance. And that's what the whole last part of James 5 talks about. Patient endurance. In verse 7, he uses example of the farmer who has planted a seed and waits patiently for the sprouts to break through the earth with the rains that come. He talks about the patience of the prophets who spoke out God's word again and again and again, and so many of them were beaten and mocked and killed for the truth. He's lifting them up as examples of patience. And then ultimately lifts up the example of verse 10 of the prophets and in verse 11 of Job himself. I encourage you, if you want an example of patience in the midst of suffering, read the book of Job. Immerse yourself in the book of Job. Verse 11, He considered those blessed who remained steadfast, And we see Job, where ultimately in the story of Job is an example how God is a God of compassion 
and mercy. All that Job goes through is restored to him beyond what he had before. And God is lifted up in his glory as a God of compassion and mercy. That's why the Apostle Paul, in the letter of 1 Timothy, he also warned about greed and the riches of this world. He warned against favoritism and partiality, that it had no place amongst the people of God and amongst the church of God. He said this in 1 Timothy 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, remember this rich, this is a greedy rich. This is a seeking to have your identity, your power, everything summed up in the things of this world. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Why? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And that's why it goes on in verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes, here's the key, on the uncertainty of riches, the things of this heaven and earth, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to be good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure... Not on this earth. Storing up treasure for themselves in heaven is where it's talking about. As a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Truly life. We see in James 5, he is focused in and on an indictment toward the greedy rich those who seek their power and privilege and place on this heaven and earth. And he's giving an encouragement, encouragement of patience and steadfastness to those who find themselves pushed down and suffering on this heaven and earth. But the call for each and every one of us is this. Regardless of how rich or how poor we are, regardless of how powerful or how low we are in this heaven and earth, there is only one place that we can go to for salvation and hope and life. Only one place. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And that's the call for all of us. Regardless of social, economic, power, privilege, regardless of how wealthy or poor, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the warnings in your word. 
because these warnings call us to repentance and they drive us in faith and hope to the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you are faithful, that you are good, and that you are love. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.